Want to know why your interiors or images don't look like the ones you see on your favorite social media feeds? What if I said I could let you know and show you what's missing and how to transform your spaces with clarity and confidence? The truth is creating beautiful interiors is simple when you know the right strategies, but most people go about it the wrong way. This is why I created the Styling Masterclass. It's the only program that simplifies the art and science of styling, giving you the clarity and confidence to take your interiors to the next level and attract your dream customers or clients so you can make your creative dreams finally possible. This is for you if you're an interior designer or photographer, have an Airbnb, a homeware shop or e-commerce business, and you want your interiors to look like the ones you see in your favorite books, magazines or Instagram accounts. Come learn how to style using my signature method so you can elevate any interior and create compelling imagery, which is your most effective marketing tool if you're selling a product or service in the world of interiors. Any successful business owner knows that styling is your secret weapon to cut through the visual noise, stand out from the crowd and grow your business. Styling is something that you don't want to leave to chance. In today's world, images are everything. This is why leading interior designers and architects always use stylists to finesse their spaces for photography to make sure they've got incredible imagery that they can use for their socials and website. Come learn how to make styling not only an essential element, an easy way to create content for your socials and websites, but learn how it can propel the growth of your creative business. If you're serious about creating beautiful interiors and a business you love without struggling in obscurity, this is the program for you. I'm going to share my process and give insights that you're not going to get anywhere else because I've been working as a professional interior stylist for the past 15 years. The Styling Masterclass will give you that clarity and confidence you need to take action and connect with your dream customer or client so you can make your creative dreams possible. Go to nataliewalton.com forward slash next level to learn more and enroll now. Enrollments are open for only a short time. So please, if you're interested and you're ready to take your interiors to the next level, go to nataliewalton.com forward slash next level. Every day, the choices we make create our imprint, the mark we leave through our life and on the world. I'm Natalie Walton and this podcast is for you if you want to make better decisions in your daily life, from how you create and run your home to building a meaningful business and life that you love. If you're interested in living more intentionally and responsibly, come join me and leading creatives, entrepreneurs and experts every week. Together, let's create an imprint worth leaving. Before we start today's episode, I want to share with you something exciting that I've been working on. As you know, I'm a big believer in making our homes the best that they can be, whatever stage we're at on our journey. How we do this is central to my books, This Is Home, The Art of Simple Living, and Still, The Slow Home. And so I've turned this 10 steps on how to make a home from my first book into an online workbook that you can apply to your own home. So if you'd really like to create a place that you can love today, then go to nataliewalton.com to receive this free workbook. I hope that you find it helpful and it sets you on the path to creating a home that you truly love. Just go to nataliewalton.com to download the free workbook. Okay, 
back to today's episode. Hello everyone. This week I am featuring an interview with Dee Tang. Some of you may know her through her homewares brand Kawaiian Lion, which she sold about a year or so ago now. And it was really fascinating to hear about her journey. She has done lots of work in the styling arena as well as visual merchandising and has taken on many other creative projects. She also talks to us about not only her own creative journey, but being open to opportunities and really taking them to the next level. This discussion is also about navigating grief and the power of meditation to heal. And also we talk a lot about living in the moment. I think that you're going to get a lot out of today's conversation and I hope that you enjoy it. Today I am joined by Dee Tang, who I have kind of come to know through Instagram, which I think that's the way that many of us get to know people these days. And she lives in Fremantle in Western Australia. And I've seen various uh, forms of her kind of creativity over the years. And I <laughs> wanted to talk to her about it because she seems to just put her heart and soul into everything that she does, which really resonates with me. So we'll get straight into it. And I wanted to ask Dee um, about your childhood and if you were creative and kind of where you grew up as well, because I originally found you and you were living in Sydney. Now you're in Fremantle mm -hmm. in Western Australia. So can you kind of give us a little bit of an insight into your journey to sort of before, you know, becoming an adult, I guess? Sure. I, um, I actually grew up here in Western Australia. Uh, my parents are from Hong Kong. And they, my dad came out when he was 22 and it was one of those, you know, immigrant stories of he was 21, no, 20, yeah, he was 21. He had a suitcase and like 20 bucks and he came out to Australia and he landed in Sydney and he was in Surrey Hills for a while. And then he had some uncle who had a Chinese restaurant in Western Australia. So then he, so he came over here and apparently he asked my mom to marry him and she said no at first, um, but then obviously regretted it. And then she came after him. And so they settled here in Western Australia and had us three kids. <laughs> That's cool. And, and that was in the mid-70s, yeah. And were you creative as a child? Yeah, so, I mean, from as long as I can remember, I always loved drawing um, and I'd always just want to sit and draw. Uh, my parents are really busy with their restaurant. Like they opened it the year that I was born, so I had – family friend who looked after me a lot. And then I, when I was at kindy, all I remember is wanting to paint and draw. And when I sat at like, what was at my babysitter's house, I would always sit and draw as well. Um, and I was left-handed, which is a really strange thing to be when you're, when you grow up with a Chinese family, because uh, people use chopsticks. <laughs> and so you, I was the only one who was using chopsticks with my left hand. So they almost say it's like you're the odd one out because you're literally bumping elbows with the other person, whoever you sit next to. So it's almost like from the get-go, was, it was always pointed out to me that there was something different, that I was not really of the norm. That makes sense? Yeah. 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 
Yeah, no, totally. Well, yeah. my, my son is left-handed. And the funny thing is, so we've got at the moment a couple of people working with us with um, our business imprint house and um, and two of yeah. them are left-handed. Like we've got three people working and two of left-handed. Mm. So, But I don't know. I mean, there's people are always sort of trying to disprove or prove that left-handed means something or not something. I, yeah, I find it interesting because neither me nor my husband are left-handed and yet my son is. But yeah, yeah right. it's just interesting, interesting. how it happens. Well, particularly culturally with my family, like I think back in the day, like in Hong Kong, they would like force a left-hander to switch to the right hand, you know, because everyone kind of needed to be the same. Um, But I guess from the get-go from my parents, they were like, oh, this child is, you know, she's a little bit like literally left of centre. Yeah. And so I always grew up thinking I was going to do something creative and do something in the arts, but then it was always discouraged, like, in my head, my I knew that's that's what I needed and wanted to do, um, but on the exterior side of it, like with my family, they they just never encouraged it. They always said that's a hobby. You can do art or design or whatever as a hobby. That's a hobby thing. It's not you can't get work like that, and you can't get money. You can't get paid, and so it kind of you know, messes with you a bit because you're not encouraged to do what you, you know, that that's, I mean, that was pretty much the only thing I felt like I was able to do as well. Cause I was crap at maths. I couldn't really do science. <laughs> I was like, well, what else am I going to do with myself? Because I can't really do much else. And so, uh, I actually left Perth when I was 18 and I went away for a year, um, and studied in Spain. Wow. That must've been and, interesting. Yeah. And so, Oh, it was amazing. And I studied Spanish history and Spanish arts and I like backpacked around Europe and then really indulged in the classics, like the um in in all the classical painters and all that kind of jazz. And then I came back and I felt really disconnected to Western Australia. Um I guess because when you're hammered with that your whole life, like, oh, there's something weird about you or there's something different. And my brother would say things like, oh, why are you trying to be different, <laughs> you know? And as a kid, I was like, I'm not trying to be different. I'm, I'm just trying to express myself. But it's only really in hindsight that you realise that's what you were trying to do. Um, and so pretty much I did what my parents wanted me to do and they, they wanted me to finish university. So as immigrants coming to Australia, the most important thing for them was for me to have higher education. So I did that and I actually ended up studying journalism uh, because when I was about to go for the interview to study graphic design, I kind of just lost all sense of confidence and I felt like my folio wasn't good enough and so I didn't go and I ended up studying uh, journalism because I felt like, you know, um, I just had to finish my degree and then that would kind of allow me to leave and so I finished my degree and at 21 I left and I didn't come back for another 14 years. Wow. And so did you, um, yeah. so then you went to Sydney? Oh. No, so I went, where did I go? I went to New Zealand. Wow. <laughs> I went to New Zealand. So I kind of went in search of myself, you know. I needed to get to a place I felt like where I was uh, felt confident to do what I needed to do and I guess that's what my early 20s were about. So I went to New Zealand, I went snowboarding, Got some facial piercings, uh, as you do. <laughs> I had a surface snowboarder boyfriend, so we just kind of like cruised around. And then we went to Japan 
and I taught English in Japan. And it was there in Japan that I lived in this tiny little town on top of a green tea field. Um, and it was like really close to the surfing beaches there. And so I started painting surfboards for a local surf store. And it was there that I kind of rekindled my love for drawing and design. And um, and the guy that I was with at the time, he was really encouraging of it, of me doing creative stuff because his mom was an artist and his grandmother was an artist. So for him it was a really natural thing to do creative stuff, whereas for me it was like a really strange um, unknown territory to pursue creativity. And it was there that um, I decided that I would move back to Australia. So I saved it, saved some money after teaching for two years, moved back to Australia um, and studied design at RMIT in Melbourne. Okay. Was that, was that like a big yeah. leap of faith to do that or did it feel like yeah, so inevitable? It, yeah, I guess so. Well, I guess I remember thinking, oh, I'm not very, like I always had this feeling, oh, maybe I'm not good enough, you know, like and then I realised, I was like, oh, at some point I realised, I was like, it's not about whether you're good enough or whatever else. I was like, it's, there's a spectrum, you know, and everything's relative. Um, and I realised, well, this is what I need to be doing, you know. Um, whenever people ask me, what are you doing with yourself? I remember in my head or in my heart, I would be like thinking, oh, I'm creative. Like I want to, I want to proudly say that I'm a designer or, you know, I'm, I work in creative industry or something like that. But, and there's that feeling inside where you're like, I'm not doing what I need to be doing, you know? Um, and now it's time. And so I was 24 when I came back to Australia, 25 and I, yeah, moved to Melbourne and ended up being there for four years and studying at RMIT School of Design, which I think was probably like the best design training that I could have ever had, you know, and being immersed in inner city Melbourne culture. Yeah, I've always heard good things about RMA, even though I can't say it, RMIT. You have to really. <laughs> RMIT. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I loved it. I mean, it was it was hard going for two, it was just like a two year it was a two year diploma under School of Design, but I think living in the city too, you're surrounded by so many um, young people who flock to this city to 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 be creative and then to be around creative people. So there's a lot of kind of um, odd bodies who end up in Melbourne. I find, um, and it's a really nice kind of experimental ground like just for you to express yourself. And I feel like even stylistically in fashion, like you just try things there that you wouldn't have felt comfortable to do when you grow up in a smaller town like um, Perth in Western Australia. And so it's a really, I found it was, even though I was a lot sunnier in disposition than for Melbourne people, um, <laughs> it, it was a great kind of um, space to just explore and grow creatively yeah and can I just ask so when you say it was in design so was that graphic design mm. or like product design or interior oh, so, design like mm. or did you kind of choose your electives or how does it work uh so it was under the school of design and then I did it in it was like they're not really called majors I guess it's kind of like a stream mm -hmm. um it was like visual, visual merchandising because I kind of through uni and when I was younger I always worked in retail so I always had um always loved clothes <laughs> yeah always a bit of a clothes haul um and so I wanted to kind of combine 
uh, design with the fashion side of things. And yeah, and so visual merch. So the only place where you can study this visual merchandising is in in Melbourne at RMIT. And so that's where I went and ended up for four years. Okay. Yeah. And so then what happened after that? Mm. Did you get a job in that area? Uh, so I started working for, I worked for American Apparel. I don't know if you remember that brand. Yeah. <laughs> like they sold everything that was like just plain colors and basic. It was kind of like the norm core period um, in the late 2000s yeah, kind of thing. I remember it. And then I start, yeah. And then I started working for Sports Girl actually. And at the time, they were like doing really interesting things with their visual merchandising. And that's why I wanted to work for them, even though they were pretty um, commercial and kind of mainstream. Um, so my job there as a merchandiser, I had this huge prop room because I worked at the store above Burke Street. So the, there was this massive prop room. So all the props of in the state were pretty much housed in this massive old warehouse building. And then there was like a huge kind of studio, like, um, where I would, you know, get to paint things and collect things and make things. So um, it was actually a really, really fun job. Yes, I really sounds like it. Loved it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And so, I was, yeah. And so, was that I, doing? I really, really loved it. And sorry, was that doing um, hmm. stuff for like catalog? You know, not catalog shoots, but do you know what I mean? So I don't know if. if web was a big present presence then probably not social media but mm. were you creating backgrounds pre-web yeah. yeah were you creating backgrounds for like so ads? it was no at that time when i was working for sports group it was actually just setting up store displays so it was kind of like when windows were phasing out and people weren't really looking at old school windows as much but they were looking at in-store displays and so sports girl had a thing at the time because the head visual merchandiser was like this super creative woman she like poured a lot of like love and money into into the vm and so we i would set up all a lot of rooms so whenever a new you know uh collection would come through or a new season we'd set up spaces in the within the store um to look like you know it look like a kind of bohemian room or this area would look like uh that uh just, you know, whatever was going at the time. And so that was what, that was my first taste in creating spaces. Um, so that was like when I was really able to kind of indulge and kind of experience what it felt like to create, you know, a space, even though it was a fake space, it was, you know, it was a space. <laughs> yeah, no, it sounds great. And I think you can be so yeah. creative with that stuff as well because you can push the boundaries a bit and, yeah, it can be fun. It sounds a lot like styling yeah. spaces for magazines because it's it's quite sort of make believe. Mm, totally. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, and so from, yeah. So yeah. Where, where did you go from then? Ah, uh, so from then on, I actually came back to Western Australia to visit my family. I'd come back every year, and then one trip that one year, um, I was twenty eight, and I came back to Western Australia and I was hanging out with the ex boyfriend, the one who encouraged me to do design. Um, and I was saying to him, oh, I really want to learn how to airbrush because I had been doing all this prop making, um, at work. And I was like, oh, it'd be cool to learn how to airbrush. I think it'd be a really good skill to kind of pick up. And he was like, oh, I met this guy on the beach, you know, like if you want a lesson kind of thing. And he owed me some money or something from like when we lived back in Melbourne days. And I was like, oh, okay, sweet. And so he set up 
a lesson for me uh, with this guy. And I thought it was going to be like this old salty dog, you know, who's like always in shorts, you know, <laughs> um, just an old salty. I, I don't know. I just thought it was like a really old dude I was going to be meeting. And then I rocked up at this place that he told me to go to and I had a coffee, two coffees in my hand and the door opened and it was, and it was ah. dead. And I was like, oh, hey. <laughs> and we ended up drinking coffee, painting all day and just chatting. And I was like, oh, wow, this is, this is crazy. I was like, um, I can't really focus because I kind of just want to make out with this guy. <laughs> um, and I kind of just started seeing some other dude in Melbourne and I don't know how this is all going to work out. <laughs> yeah. And so anyway, that was that. I didn't think I'd really see him again. Um, and I moved back to Melbourne. And then meanwhile, Des had told me, oh, I'm leaving Western Australia. I'm moving back to Sydney. I'm from the northern beaches of Sydney. And I was like, I didn't even know what he was talking about. I was like, Narrabeen sounds like it's hours away. Um, and so he was moving back to Sydney. And then the day I came back to Melbourne uh, to work, they offered me a job in Sydney and I took it. Wow. So, and so that was that. I, I left for Sydney and then Des and I, cut, I guess we arrived around the same time. He was driving back in his truck and I moved there. I moved like within the month. And we arrived at the same time and we've been together ever since. Wow. Yeah. He was living in a warehouse in Manly. And then I ended up getting a job with One Teaspoon, actually. Uh, he was living in a warehouse in Manly and the One Teaspoon head office was across the road from his warehouse. <laughs> so oh my gosh. I used to go to work. It was meant to be. <laughs> yeah. yeah, totally. It's one of those things where it was like, the synchronicity and it was it was moving at such a rapid pace um it was like it was all amping up and when I got to Sydney it was just like it was like my life was on steroids yeah <laughs> and then that was the same time I had a friend who was working in the film kind of acting and you know media industry and she said there's an audition coming up and they're looking for designers uh, for this new TV show. And I was like, oh, God. I was like, I'm extremely not interested. And she was like, look, just send some pictures in and see how it goes. And I was like, no, I'm really not keen. And she ended up sending, taking some pictures for me of the work that I had done in some of these stores. Um, we just opened a store in Surrey Hills and one in the city. Um, and so she took some pictures and sent them in. And then next thing you know, I got asked to come in for um, an audition. And I remember looking around and I was I looked around and there were like real, what I deemed real designers. Like everyone had a mood board, <laughs> you know, mood board. There were like tiles, uh, you know, color palettes. And I just rocked up and I was like, <laughs> you know, I was like, ah. Uh. <laughs> I was like, you know what? I'm just going to draw this, you know? I was like, whatever they ask me, I'm just going to, you know, draw it with a Posca on, on on the board kind of deal, you know? I was like, we'll just we'll just roll with it, you know, and see how we go. Um, and I kind of deliberately didn't want to put any effort in because I kind of deliberately didn't want to be in the show, right? But I went kind of slightly grudgingly. Um, and so I walked into the audition and they asked me to design. They're like, Dee, you've got two friends and the, the, a guy and a girl and, like, they have really opposing, you know, tastes. What are you going to do and what are you going to design for them? Like, she's a bit conservative, he's a bit, you know, cool. Um, and what are you going to do? And I was like, oh, well. And so 
I think I just turned around. There was like a board and I picked up a pen and I was like, oh, okay, well, maybe we'll just like design like a half pipe and, you know, we'll, we'll tap into his kind of surfiness and his skate vibes and we'll, we'll be able to half pipe, but we'll also just make it really low key. We'll paint things white. You know, we might even add some florals in. So it kind of takes in, you know, um, her more kind of conservative kind of, you know, vibe. <laughs> and I, I don't know. I just kind of just made things up as I went. And I could tell as I was talking and drawing, they were like all nodding their head at me. And I was like, oh, no, they really like me. <laughs> I was like, oh no, they're gonna they're gonna ask me to come back. <laughs> and they did, right? <laughs> and at the time I was working for one teaspoon. So obviously the the uniform for one teaspoon are these extremely short shorts, like yeah. you know, like the shortest of the shorts, like they're like denim panties, like now that I'm looking back, <laughs> you know. And so I'm wearing these like ridiculously short shorts <laughs> and like a Hawaiian silk shirt or something, you know, like that. And I was just like and at the time, you know, I was kind of so immersed in the in the industry, like I didn't think anything of it, you know. Um, and so they asked me back and then I actually said no. I was like, I'm not really interested, you know. And then they asked me back again and then somehow or something, something just like, I don't know, something just clicked in my head where I thought, you know what, you're 29 years old, like, this is your like the last of your 20s and you've just moved to Sydney. You've just met the love of your life. You just had your dream job and now you're being asked to go on TV. Like, don't you think this is just going to be an interesting experience? And I remember having maybe that was my higher self already talking to me, even though I wasn't as aware of my higher self then. Um, and so I kind of had these words with myself and I ended up saying yes and going on this yeah, reality TV show. That's so funny. Do you know, and if, as you're speaking yeah. as well, um, <laughs> you wouldn't know this, but around the time before One Teaspoon did their Surrey Hill store, I actually had um, a meeting mm. with Jamie oh. to do some mm. of their stores. So it's just funny. Oh. Like, it just didn't end up eventuating. No <laughs> but it's just so funny how small the world is sometimes. And it's almost like that sort of yeah, sliding totally. door moment, you know, like, yeah, it's. That's yeah. really interesting. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I just got goosebumps yeah. hearing that. So yeah. funny. It's, yeah, the world is so very, very small sometimes. Um, they must have decided just to have a visual merchandiser after maybe having meetings with you or something. Yeah. I remember I she had very they big pretty... plans for, like, making every store a very di different concept. And, and it was amazing what she was doing. And she's yeah. such a clever, incredible businesswoman as well as creative. Totally. But, um, yeah, it was just funny. Yes. That kind of that sort of like <laughs> I, I know exactly the period that you're talking about and everything. So Totally. Yes. Yeah. So what happened after the TV show? So after the TV show, which was a really strange experience, so, so for two months you're followed around by a camera and we were living in Paddington in Colette Dinnigan's old house in her um, old Victorian townhouse. Ah. So there was 10 of us like living in this like beautiful fancy townhouse and then we were just kind of all cooped in there and then we'd like get taken out in these cars to do these challenges around Sydney and then we'd come back and we were just kind of like... I don't know. You don't cook. You don't. You don't drive. You don't make any decisions for yourself except for like, what are my paint colors today, <laughs> or you know, what what am I going to put in this room? And so you become. It's such a strange thing to be because you kind of become like a child in many ways because all these other 
things are being done for you and decisions are being made for you, you know? Um, so it's, yeah, it's a really strange environment to be around because everyone gets really bratty, you know, and they like start, people have tanties and stuff like adults, grown adults having tanties and, you know, chucking fits and. <laughs> it's an know. amazing and the funny thing experience, is, isn't it? Like hmm. a psychological experiment kind of thing. is. <laughs> Totally. And the thing is they would film you while you, like if you wanted to talk to your family, they would film you because they wanted you to break down. So they were looking, constantly looking for drama. And so what I used to do was I would send, we had a house phone. Um, This is like just, you know, pre-iPhone kind of era. Oh, just, you know, it was a shit phone. And so I would send him these messages and we would occasionally, maybe every two weeks would get one day off. And so I would send him these messages and I'd be like, okay, I'm going to meet you behind the American Apparel Store at Surrey Hills at this time. Don't answer back. I'll see you there. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'd erase this message and then everyone would be like, oh, what are you doing today? I would be like, oh, I'm going to the art gallery, you know. Um, and then I'd like run off, <laughs> run off to the, the mark spot and like, you know, and Des would be there, pick me up, and then we'd go home. Like we were living in the Northern Beaches and I'd go for a swim, and I'd just hang out and just chill, you know? <laughs> yeah. And then he'd draw me back off at the end, like at the end of the day, like a, you know, like a, like prison visitations kind of thing. And then I'd like trundle back to the house, you know? And everyone would be like, yeah, have you, where have you been? I'd be like, oh, you know, just cruising around the city, you know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> With wet hair. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> but the thing is they didn't want you to fraternize with anyone outside because they thought you were going to like, you know, get new ideas or something, you know, <laughs> you know, or I don't know, be inspired by something else and it wasn't coming from you. Um, so it was actually a really funny experience and strange because they also were always trying to t- tap into drama and and at that time I guess they thought that with TV just a show purely about design wasn't going to work and I think they thought that wasn't going to be interesting enough, especially for a commercial network. And so they constantly tried to find ways to um, break us up as, as, as a group because we all got along really well. We actually became like a, you know, like a family and we all actually, you know, genuinely enjoyed being around each other. And so because there was no drama, they, they thought that potentially that this is going to be a really uninteresting show, which is a shame. Yeah, it's so fascinating. Mm. So, yeah, what did mm. happen then after that? So once it wrapped up, did your life change or did you get other opportunities? Oh, so I had the producer come up to me because I ended up leaving the show um, because I thought it sucked <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> so I asked her to leave the show. And then when I left the show, the producer pulled me aside and she was like, look, D, she's like, within a year, she's like, I don't want you to be doing what you used to be doing. I don't want you to be a visual merchandiser. And I don't want you to be working in that industry. And you are not going to be, you know, in a job and blah, 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 blah. She's like, you need to promise me this. And then you're not going to be doing going back to what you used to do. And I was just kind of like, oh, okay. (laughs) You know? Yeah. She was really firm with me kind of, you know, like, uh, yeah. Like just looking out for me like a mom. Yeah. It was really, it was kind of cute now when I think back. Yeah. And so it came out and I was like, okay, I'm going to try not do what I'm going to do, even though that's all I know how to do. And I'd never worked for myself before, but luckily um, with Des, he'd been freelancing as, you know, and as an artist and he'd been working for himself for a long time. And so he was really 
encouraging of me kind of just flying free. And so I started freelancing as a stylist, um, which I'm sure you're familiar with. And so (laughs) I was like, oh, so how do I get work? And uh, how do I get paid and still live in Sydney? (laughs) You know? How do I, yeah, how do I, how do I manage this? You so know? how did you, and luckily, how did you do it? Yeah. Well, luckily, just at that time, we got an offer to live behind a nursery and the back of North Narrabeen and our friends had this nursery and behind the nursery was pretty much like this dump. It was like a container which had a extension put on it. And he was like, oh, uh, that's free if you guys want to move in. And there were, and he was, and he was offering it to us to live in that space for 150 bucks a week, which in Sydney is like, you know, $2 a week, you know, Um, (laughs) which is like peanuts. And so that was actually, that was the lifeline. So we ended up paying like this, you know, 80s rent, um, living in the Northern beaches of Sydney. And they let us do what we, whatever we wanted with the space. And that was kind of, I guess, where I kind of really was able to grow. So we lived really close to the tip um, the up in Terry Hills. So I was there every day. (laughs) Yeah. I'd go there with a coffee and I just loved going to the tip and finding just like old stuff, you know, and cheap old stuff. Cause I was always on a budget whenever I was, um, trying to find props for a shoot. And so, or I'd upcycle things and it was kind of that era of, yeah, where kind of, I guess the beginnings of the upcycling, like 2011, yeah, 12. And so I started buying old pieces of furniture, painting it, sanding it, and then finding stuff for shoots as well. And then we kind of extended our little um, little shack home then and we called it the cow bungalow. And from then on, uh, what happened then? Oh, so Amanda Talbot, who was uh, the judge yep. on um top design we she kind of became like a kind of like a mentor at the time you know and so she was really encouraging as well of me doing my own thing and she also said you know you've got um a really unique style and you kind of need to continue with that and so she was the one who actually came and photographed our house at the time because it was like 30 square meters it's like a tiny 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 space um but it was cool because it was like, you know, when you have a lot of limitations in design and then you end up making some really, really, really good decisions because of the constraints. And so I was so used to working within with nothing that it really forced us to create the space where we could create a home out of living literally in a dump above a septic tank behind a nursery in the backwaters of the Northern Beaches. Um, and I loved it. When I look back at it, I said to Des the other night, I was like, wow, that was a real dump that we lived in. And I was like, I loved it. I didn't even know at the time. I thought it was magic, you know. I really just loved it because it just gave me creative freedom. I was allowed to hang things on the wall for the first time. I was like to, to like make holes wherever I wanted. I could paint the floors if I wanted to. We built a deck. if we, You know, it was just like the first time in my life that was able just to do whatever that fork I wanted you know with our home space yeah and that was really really cool and I really indulged in it and I loved it for that did you work with Amanda Talbot at all no so I didn't work with Amanda Amanda ended up working 
Des ended up working. Oh, of course, yes, yeah. yes, yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, it's coming back to me now. So that that's a yeah. So that's another story in itself. Um, yeah, they end up working together for three wow, years. Wow, for the Merivale projects uh, with with Mary for Merivale, yeah. yeah, for Merivale. Yeah. yeah, and so and so that was the time. To, oh, yeah. sorry, I was just going to ask because you said that you were doing styling mm. as well. So did you start out assisting people, or what? And who were you assisting? And- uh, so you know, do you know uh, Hollywood, the photographer? Um, he was friends with Jamie. Yeah, yeah, Chris, yeah, Chris Searle. Searle. sorry, that's yeah, his real yeah, yeah. name. Yeah. I'm like, I don't <laughs> yeah. know Hollywood. I know Chris so Searle. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah, sorry, I just know him yeah. Hollywood. Uh, so he used to shoot stuff for one teaspoon, yeah. and that's kind of how I met him. And he was the one who actually gave me his first job, or his producer, Marie, um, from Tidal. And so my first freelance gig was um, creating a rooftop party scene uh, at a top of this, like, graphic design building in Surrey Hills. And so it was kind of like... I had to find like a hills hoist to hang stuff off. And it was like when you were using like those old cable wheels as tables and like grungy old armchairs. And it was like for, I think it was a beer commercial. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so I think they gave me a two grand budget. And then, so I loaded up like Des's truck with all this junk that I'd found at the tip and like some stuff I'd painted uh, to set up this shoot. Yeah. And then it kind of just went on from there. I did another shoot for them um, for Master's Milk. And that job was to build uh, lilos, like pool lilos, out of the con- of, out of the actual milk containers itself. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, so that that job, like, pushed, <laughs> pushed me, like, really pushed me that was that was like a real test so I ended up building three lilos that had to float in the pool and like be jumped on and like be used um so that really pushed me technically because I'm not a technical person so I remember being in my mate's warehouse like clamping these like milk cartons together and I had like 50 boxes of milk cartons around me so I could like create these um lilos and then what I ended up doing was I was thought from like a design perspective, I would make these look really pretty by doing kind of Missoni kind of style. <laughs> so I would do, you know, a row of pink and then the row of green and then the row of yellow and then kind of, you know, do it like nice stripes. And then each each lilo had its own kind of pattern stripe vibe going on. I get on. it. <laughs> I get what you were trying yeah. to achieve. And so was it mainly yeah, commercial totally. styling that you were doing then for like TVCs and yeah. that type of thing? Yeah, so for it's for ads, and so I mean, I guess in Sydney that was that was all like that I knew and at that age, like to do. Um, I didn't really know anyone who was starting out yet. Um, it's kind of like that I could help, and so at that time I was just doing commercial work, and it was also at this time that another girl that I knew from One Teaspoon um, and I we both fell pregnant at the same time that year, um, and. She was looking to do something outside of fashion and I wanted to do something where I was like, I'm starting to like, you know, decorate or renovate and like thinking about my home space. And I was like, I'm not finding any kind of homewares that I really like or tap into or feel like I could even afford or, you know, would buy even if I could afford it. And so it was from there we were just, I think we were doing a narrow bean boot sale and it was from, the, you know, the magic of the market that we ended up having this conversation where she was like, well, why don't we design a small range? 
And then that's how Kawhian Lion was born. Okay. I didn't realize it was in conjunction with someone else or did you end up doing it by yourself? Yeah. Uh, so Laura and I did the first two seasons together. She has a brand now named King Asilla now. Oh, yes. Um, it's a fashion label. Mm. So she was the head designer at One Teaspoon. I was the visual merchandiser. We never got to really work together while we were at work, um, but we always got along and always liked to see what the other person was doing because it was kind of like she was at the beginning of the process and I was at the end of the process um, when it came to a garment. Um, and so it was really cool to combine our powers together, I guess you could say. And then she was really great with details and I, she actually taught me how to design and how to do a spec sheet and, you know, how to measure things and really tap into the details. And then I guess I was more concerned with the story and the branding and the overall look and feel of the brand. Yeah. I'm always interested about when people decide to have their own brand because I've got my mm. own business imprint house and there's this, this, yeah. I guess this point where you have to decide, are you going to source things from other people or are you going to create mm. something from scratch? And obviously when you create something from scratch, totally. then there's a lot of unknowns in terms of, you know, it's, you don't know about the quality of the product. You've got to go through sample stage. There's a huge investment totally. in that initial stage huge. before you even get a product. And then it's not even tested in the marketplace. So why did you decide totally. to go down totally. that path? Was it like a creative itch that you had to scratch or why did you want to design your own products? So because I had, we were living in that old shack behind the nursery, I was like, oh, I'm not, you know, I don't see anything that I like. And I was like, also, I really loved um, the airbrush designs and that old school 70s nostalgic kind of surf era. And I was like, oh, none of that kind of stuff is, I'm not seeing it any of, any of that around. I'd really like to bring it back and kind of like um, bring it back for a modern audience. Um, because that was what I always loved. As soon as I, you know, I had this picture from when I lived in Japan and it was like Gemma Ward in a sh shoot during the early 2000s, I think it was, uh, maybe 2006 or something, and it was like in a Vogue magazine. And little did I know this picture that I pulled out and that I had in like my scrapbook or journal um, that I had kept for years was actually a picture taken at like Monabelle, like which is just down the road. And all these nostalgic surf iconography, like, you know, like the old airbrush esky, the airbrush boards, um, you know, all the rattan cane stuff before that got really big. And I was like, wow, like, what is this? I'm really, really drawn to this. I really love this vibe, you know, and I feel like there needs to be more of this. I really, I really do. Um, and so with Laura, I wouldn't have done it without Laura because she was already a fully fledged designer for her, the sampling process and production and all that stuff, you know, she had that under her belt. So with her, I was able to manage this and we were really lucky that we already had a maker that we knew and she was able to just produce the samples for us. And she let us produce 10 pieces of the 10 designs that we made in our first range in her sample room. Yeah. And so what, yeah. um, so then how, when did you launch it and how long, cause you sold it in 2019. So how long did you have it, yes. the business? So I guess the beginnings of it, the conversation we had was end of 2012. And then we found out we were both pregnant in 2013 and we both had 
our first baby girls like just as we launched our first season and it's funny because we sent out I think we sent out we sent out so and this is back in the day before everyone was selling on the internet like the selling style was still you go to a showroom you see the product and then you know you place an order with your buyer and you buy blah 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 and so we sent out all these invites and I think we had like two replies oh. <laughs> <laughs> two replies and one was Jai actually from um you know uh, Byron what did he have at the time yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Byron Jungle Jai. Trader um, was it yes did he call it Jungle Trader yes, yeah that's right uh, ahoy, no Ahoy, ahoy Trader ahoy yes Ahoy Trader yes. Ahoy Trader <laughs> And then another shop in Cronulla called Charbella Bucks. Oh, yeah, I know that one. so we one. had two people. Yeah, and so we had two people who were interested. But that was all we needed, you know. <laughs> that was all we needed for us to be able to like, cool, we, we've we got to place an order. Yeah. This is like really exciting. Yeah. Um, and then it just kind of, you know, and I think we, I, I you know, worked on making an online store and, I think we sold like three things, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and it was like, oh, okay, um, just the beginning of that kind of tap, really tapping into e-commerce thing, and it was the beginning of Instagram too. Yeah, and so um, I think we had like a hundred followers or something at the time, and then Laura decided to actually leave because she was like, I need to start my own label. I'm fashion, your homewares, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, that's fine, I get it, you know. And so she ended up, um, yeah, she left. Um, and then I just I think what happened was we had both put in $5,000 to begin with to start our first sample range. And so I paid her out the five grand and she was happy to take that to take off to start her own label. Yeah. And then from then on I just just trundled through by myself and so what was your what was your kind of plan with it like or what were the values of the business like what was important to you Mm. about what this brand was and and how you created and where you created and that you know the design or you know like Uh, all all that stuff like what what were your general thoughts on that okay I like these questions (laughs) um so for me now in hindsight looking back I was really 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 story driven you know, um, I was designing things that I wanted to have in my space, but it needed to be a part of this story. And the whole story of Kawhi Lion was there was this lion um, that stole away on this ship and the ship sailed off and landed on the island of Kauai. And then the lion, you know, emerges from this ship like kind of bewildered by the beauty of this island of Kauai and it's like seeing things for the first time. So every, so the whole brand and then each range kind of had to like tap back into that story of seeing, you know, these beautiful coastal scenes and sunsets and the ocean, you know, for the first time. Can I just and ask, so, sorry, can it, I just interrupt and ask mm, why Kauai? Yeah, of course. Why Kauai? Is, is there uh, some uh, connection with that? So my middle name, my middle name is Kauai, K-A-W-A-I, um, Kauai. Yeah. So my middle name is Kauai. Right. <laughs> and then it's actually, which is actually Chinese, um, but it's also Hawaiian. And then... I'm not sure. It didn't make sense to me why I was so obsessed with this idea of it. Um, and then when Kawa was born to, oh, so, so the Kawai came from 
my middle name and the L-I lion came from Laura's surname, Laura Lyles. Uh So we kind of combined little elements of our names into the Kauaian lion. Right, okay. Um, And I guess because I had grown up in Western Australia and the whole kind of, you know, uh, 60s, 70s tiki vibe, it wasn't really present here. So when I got to the Northern Beaches, I loved that there were remnants of that cult that subculture was it was very present you know and you go to these old shacks and everyone just have shells and you know worn out cane furniture before everyone started importing it yeah. again um and I just loved it I really just really I don't know it was like this yearning in my heart as if I had seen it before I had felt it before but not in this lifetime and it was like this kind of calling or feeling um, really nostalgic feeling and potentially from a past life, I feel now looking back yeah. at it. Yeah. And so, sorry, I interrupted because mm. you were sort of saying about like every yeah. collection, w- did you design collections? Like, so every year you're a different collection. Yes. So I was trained in fashion, like to follow seasons and that's how my brain still works. I still think spring, summer, autumn, se- autumn, winter, um, you know, holiday occasionally. So we, pretty much tried to at first we tried to design one range per season so a a summer a spring whatever but ended up being too much so I ended up uh, splitting the range into two ranges and then doing like a small injection here and there um so I do autumn winter and then spring summer and then there would be maybe like a holiday edit or something like that yeah yeah and so um so obviously it grew over time. I think that's how I kind of initially found you was through um, Ka- yeah. Kauai and Lion. And, and I, I yeah. remember the vaguely, I'm sure if I look up again, images of the bungalow, the Kaua bungalow, whatever you call mm. it, I'm sure that that will kind of yeah. come to me as well. Um, and so then the next thing I know then, well, obviously there was, you know, the you know very sad story about your daughter's death. And then mm. you guys moved to Western Australia. Was that kind of all interconnected mm-hmm. or, and then sort of selling Kauai and Lion? What, what sort of happened yeah, over so that period? I guess I had Kauai for like been doing it for five years and it grew really steadily um, and it was kind of growing at a pace that I could manage on my own and then I had freelancers helping me out with like graphics and, you know, um, stuff like that. And so... We decided to move back to Western Australia, was that 2017? It came out quite suddenly. It wasn't planned. I wanted to live in Newport forever. I loved the northern beaches. And Des grew up in Warrywood and he loved the northern beaches, but he kind of knew that we were never going to be able to manage to buy a house there. Um, And that was the reality of it. Um, And it's only now in hindsight that I realised that that area was you know, it's a really wealthy area, um, yeah. you know. It's quite exclusive and it's really wealthy and I guess, again, I didn't really I didn't really notice. I just, um, I just had some really good friendships there and I really cherished that time that, of my growth as a designer and that's kind of what I tapped into. Um, and then Des kind of was a bit more practical and he was like, you know, we need to, probably need to move back to Western Australia and that's where your parents are and they're going to help us, you know, whereas his parents had moved away to the country. Um, And so we didn't really have any family support around. And so I said, look, I'll only move back to Western Australia if we find a house in Fremantle (laughs) 
it's got a studio and it's like really old, you know, like awesome old. <laughs> and so we just had a look on the internet and then next thing you know, this house popped up and it was like art deco, beautiful, you know, beautiful ornate ceilings, uh, a massive, massive studio at the back. It was used as a glass studio. Um, and aside from the studio, there's also another, there was another little abode, which is the one that I'm sitting in right now, which we call the shack. Uh, and just a huge block, like a, you know, a, a thousand square meter block. Um, and just five minutes out of Frio. And then as soon as I saw it, I was like, oh, okay, that's our house. <laughs> you know, I was like, I'm going to fly back and have a look at it, um, like next week. And so I did, and I brought Ruffer along with me. And that was in May 2017. And I walked through and I was like, this is our home. I was like, I don't know how we're going to do this. And I don't know how to get a loan, but we'll we'll figure it out, you know. Um, and so that's what we did. And the following month, uh, it was June, July, July, um, we had decided we'd come back to Western Australia for my sister's 40th birthday. And on the way back, I was going to do a bit of production work in Bali, where I was getting some things made and then we would um, fly back to Sydney, pack up our lives and then move to Western Australia. And it was in that trip that um, we lost Kawa and we ended up coming back to Western Australia, flying her out from Bali and we spent the last week of her kind of, uh, I guess, I mean, I feel like she was she had left the minute that uh, we found her in Bali uh, that she had already gone, but we flew her back to Perth and her physically, her physical body was still alive. And we spent a week with her here before we moved back, before we went back to Sydney and then spent two weeks there, I think packing up our lives and then moving into this house. Yeah. Gosh, I can't even, I mean, you know, all, all of mm. the, that as a mother, but then like to also be moving and going through all of that. Yeah. It was pretty wild. It's a bit like, like this large parts of it I actually can't really remember because yeah. it was such a kind of foggy, out-of-body experience. Um, and then, you know, it, 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 it's like I recently sent this uh, story that I wrote for Lunch Lady um, to a new friend here to read because she told me about how she had lost her brother when he was a baby and she was the big sister and how her mom really suffered and turned to drinking. And so I was like, oh, well, why don't do you want, you might find this interesting to read. And if your mom's open to it, um, you know, um, maybe you could get her to read it. And so I sent it to her and I ended up reading it again. And I was like, and I, it was like almost like it's been three and a half years and it was almost like I had an almost observant point of view of that person that I was in that really intense period of grief. Um, and I was crying not as myself but as a person looking back at that person that I was in that moment in time. Yeah. I mean, I remember all yeah. of, you know, all of that happening and just, sorry, I mean, I'm not even the mother and it's, you know, it makes me emotional. Yeah. I was just so amazed at how you really, um, just how you went through that whole process and that you kind of stayed, you know, I mean, obviously I don't know you personally, but you sort of seem to stay so yeah. positive about it. Like, you know, in the sense that, um, 
you know, like you say, some people could easily just completely fall apart, you know, or or go to drinking or just, you know, become a shell or do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. and um, yeah. yeah, I just, I was really, um, you know, impressed is the wrong word, but do you know what I mean? Like, I, I just really admired that um, how you both sort of respected her life. And, and I remember that this going out for the surf paddle and, you know, oh, all, you know, all those things, you know, they just were so beautiful. And, um, you know, what's wild. It's like, you, I would never have imagined that the most beautiful morning of my life would be saying goodbye to my baby girl, you know, like that morning was magic. Like we all rocked up at the beach, like in wet, everyone had wetsuits on and I had lays and Hawaiian shirts and the water was glassy. It was just amazing. And I remember having like paddling nerves, like paddling anxiety because <laughs> yeah. I hadn't paddled out in years, Yeah, you know. And then I looked around and I was like, oh, my God, there's all these dudes who look like they've just pulled their wetsuit and it's crunchy, you know, out of their shed and they've got their board from the 90s and 2000s. I was like, everyone's just showed up. They don't, like, it doesn't matter, you know. Like, we're all kind of here just to honour yeah. her. Like, how cool is this? This is, like, the coolest thing I've ever experienced. And then as we paddled out, I was just like, this is the most beautiful moment I've ever experienced. And it was like, we all paddled out. There were like flowers, you know, and the water was just like magic, like just like droplets of water, everyone. And then, you know, behind us, apparently there was like a whale breach right. that morning. And it was just like, yeah. yeah. yeah and it was just, it was just magic. And I remember feeling so euphoric as if we had really done her justice and insane goodbye in the most beautiful way possible because that's what she embodied in her life yeah, yeah. and yeah and uh, and for me I guess like yeah no, I was just going to ask you I mean because that was the word that kind mm. of you, you used it yourself you know that you really have kind of honored her life in so many ways and um and I'm just wondering how I mean mm. of course like you know an experience like that is going to change you as a person what what totally. yes. like what have been some of the big things that you've learned about either yourself or life or you know whatever what what has that taught yeah. you that whole experience um so after she passed it was like i knew immediately that i would have to let go of kawan like um i was like it was a real struggle that year after she passed like from a business perspective because i was like oh i'm this grieving mother and I don't want to be seen as that grieving mother behind this brand, you know. Um, it's this is a really strange place to be. And, like, it seems really, I don't know, it just seems really strange to try and push and sell things, you know, while I'm going through this passage. Um, it's a, you know, it just doesn't, the two kind of, you know, don't, kind of converge you know I was like it's really kind of jarring for me in my heart and I can't do this you know um and so that was the, the one of the biggest decisions I was like okay I'm gonna I need to sell this I need to try and find someone who's going to be able to take this ship and sail with it and it can grow with them and then I can remove myself from this and so for me, it was kind of like I was emerging away from the brand and I knew I was growing away from the brand and it, it was like this child that had grown and I had to like kind of push it off and let it go free and be independent. 
Um, and how was that? And so I could. Sorry. Yes. So I could kind of, you know what I mean? Like, and so I could just kind of be who I was in this present time, which is a, a changed person, you know, like I had, you know, experienced something that, that I was changed forever. And in so many ways, it was a deeply, deeply spiritual experience. And from the last three and a half years, you know, in my head and in my heart, I knew everything I'm going to do from now on will be to try and understand this. Everything I do will be to try and tap into this more and to connect to Kawa in spirit and learn about how, why, you know, why would I enter this agreement of losing my daughter in this lifetime? Why do I need to learn these lessons? And what am I learning from this? And how how will I grow from this? And how will I come to acceptance of this? So it was like that was like pretty much became my drive. Oh, and it still is my drive. Well, it, it's my thing now. And now I realize that's actually it's actually my purpose. And my purpose I've realized through you know doing a lot of healing, spiritual healing, and you know different types of. Um, modalities you know connected to spirit um is the fact that my role here now is to you know take certain messages take messages that i you know receive and that i know deep in my heart and to kind of translate them into visual things for people to understand and comprehend yeah, yeah. simply yeah. yeah simply put yeah and can you share yeah. like just in case there's anyone out mm. there who's going through something similar or maybe just something completely different but like what are you know are there any books or resources or you know um, like teachers or whatever that have really helped you yeah yeah uh so a lot so one of the books i read and i read it before kawa and i believe this before kawa is about past lives and how that our souls are eternal and that me as D is just one lifetime that I'm currently living and this person and what I look like and who I supposedly am. It's just one incarnation. I have been thousands, if not tens of thousands of souls prior to becoming deep in this body. And I believe that Kawa and I have been together numerous times and I have experienced her in through hypnosis and through my meditation um, that I have truly felt that in my heart that we have had lives together before and that we will live and be together again. Um, and because I understand and feel and know that in my heart, um, that that's everything, you know, that, that, that gets me through, yeah. <laughs> you know, so to speak. Yeah. Knowing that, we are always connected, yeah. um, that it's not the end. And I think for a lot of people, if you don't believe in reincarnation, if you don't believe that our, that we, our souls are eternal, then you just think that's the end and you're like, oh, I'll never see them again or I won't experience them. Like this is it, you know, but it isn't it, you know, and I, and I really feel that. And one of the books that I've read, I can't even remember his name right now because, oh, that's it, Brian Weiss, um, uh, he wrote, he was a psychologist or therapist who hypnotised a lot of people in and, and just kind of by 
a, a happy mistake. <laughs> oh, there are no mistakes. Um, he hypnotized one patient and she ended up, instead of tapping into her childhood, she tapped into a past life. And from then on, he started using regression therapy and found that a lot of the issues or, you know, um, anxiety or any kind of, you know, relationship problems or issues we have in our current life is actually stems back to past lives. Um, and that in resolving and coming to peace with your past lives, how it can help you in your current life. Mm. Yeah, so interesting. And you mm. mentioned meditation as well. Was that something that you did yeah, before, so, um, you know, CalPass? Yes. Or, um, or is this? No, I actually I started it when I was pregnant okay. with her. So it was kind of like little did I know, like I guess with her coming into me as a soul and coming into my body, um, that just this, you know, this it was a real huge shift for me in consciousness. And so I started meditating while I was pregnant with her. And I actually went and did like a meditation, Buddhist re- meditation retreat with her when I was eight months pregnant. Right. <laughs> and yeah. And so she was born with me meditating and she used to, I used to try and wake up really early in the morning and like sneak out of the bedroom. She's, she would sleep in our bed. And I'd sneak out of the bedroom and like sit in the front room and meditate. And so many times she would catch me out and she ended up sitting with me, you know, in the dark um, and just like sit quietly with me, um, which is really cool. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. yeah. that's how I feel now when I, when I meditate, yeah. that she is still sitting, sitting with me. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. And so how long then did it take you before you were able to start, I guess, engaging in, you know, work or creativity or, you know, whatever Mm. it is like that's now been part of your Uh, journey, more present journey, current journey? You know what? I I think we took like a, like it it took us like a maybe a month we moved in and I said I was shutting down the website, but pretty much I got back into it immediately. Um, And it was really helpful. I found Maybe because it's we, I do creative, we do creative work. My husband is an artist. And so he was painting our house, which he said was probably the most, you know, kind of good mundane task, you know, painting. Because it was like, it took it away. It took just enough of his attention, you know, but then he was still able to be in this kind of heavy grieving, you know, but it was like, he was, you know, he's so accustomed to painting that it was like, okay, just painting the house was just enough work for him, for him to manage and get through at that point in time. And then it was at that point in time that he actually started meditating too. Um, and I don't think we'd be where we are now without it because it wasn't just about meditating and, you know, trying to just chill out. For us, it was like meditating was like just even giving a really devoted time and space to grieving. And so when you're in that heavy grief, like it sometimes builds up because you don't have the immediate outlet for it. And so sitting in stillness really allowed those waves of grief and just like really intense sobbing and crying and just like these almost guttural noises come out of you, you know, because it's so deep and it's so heavy. And for for that to just kind of roll out of you, you know, it's like this inertia, like you just, it was like it really needed to be let out. And we just 
cried, cried and cried and cried and cried. And I listened to this podcast recently about this guy whose mom is dying and he's interviewing her. And he's like, what do I do, you know, when I'm sad? And she's like, you just cry, baby, <laughs> you know. I was like, that's it. That's it. You just cry and you give yourself space to cry. And if you need to fucking cry, like, on the hour, every hour, then do it, you know, and just let it be and don't be ashamed of it. Just like realize that those tears, you're honoring that person who has passed because that those, it's just love. Mm. Yeah. <gasps> Simply put. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so can I just ask you about, so with meditation, like, is there a particular practice that you mm. do? Like, is it, um, <laughs> you know, um, like, um, there's so many different types of meditation and, and like, can you just totally. share a little bit, like, do you do the 20 minutes thing or sure. what is it? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I get asked this as a lot as well. And again, just um, the way I meditate is similar to the way I do most things. Um, just kind of off the cuff again, I did do, I did go to a Buddhist retreat in the beginning to just kind of, that gave me my Uh, ability to just sit and know that I could was kind of know what I was doing kind of you know um the first stages of it but then for me what I like to do is I just sit I just sit in a space that I really enjoy sitting in in quiet and I put on what my husband calls really sad music um so I like music with minor chords (laughs) and I find the minor chords just tap me into that space really quickly. Uh, it literally strikes a chord with me, these minor chords. And um, yeah, it taps me into this space. And I just kind of focus on breathing. I don't really have a method. I just kind of breathe and I allow these thoughts to come and go. And then I find if you do it quite often, it, it, it doesn't take, it's just like anything. I find you, you practice piano, you practice running, what, what have you. If you do it often enough, you become better at it, right? And so you just have to do it all the time. And then it's like you can just sit and you breathe and then next thing you know, you're like feel much better, yeah. <laughs> you know, or or you're receiving, you know, everyone has their own experience. You know, some people receive colours, some people receive messages, they channel information. For me, if I'm having an issue like a relationship issue or I'm trying to understand someone or for example when I when I saw Kawhi online I was really scared because I'm terrible with um kind of dealing with I'm terrible with dealing with money and negotiation and that business side of things I don't I've just never had that kind of fire or like you know lion in me and so the meditation um, helped me a lot because I would ask kind of spirit to give me courage, um, to get through that passage. Yeah. Cause I was really scared, you know, I was really scared to ask for money to, so the money, which I thought it was worth. And I was really scared about having to stand up for myself when they tried to, um, you know, get a better price for it and standing my ground. And so I remember sitting down to meditate one morning and Kawa kind of, you know, her little face appeared. She's like, Mama, you can do it, you know, like you can do it. And she had that, she had that fire in her, you know. Um, and I could hear her just being like, you can do it, you know, it's fine. You know, you got, you got this, you know. And I was like, okay, I got mm. this, you know. And I found just, um, so sitting with it in meditation just helps me with everything. Yeah. 
it I really could not manage my daily life without it. And I find if I don't do it for a few days, I get really grumpy and I don't like no one likes grumpy mama. <laughs> <laughs> do you yeah. do it at the same time every day yeah. or do you have a certain I try, I try. And do you do it like do you get I mean, up early got, for it? Yeah. Yes. So I try and wake up at like five thirty in the morning. So I have, you know, like you have time to yourself. Um <laughs> So I try and go for a swim and then I come home and I try to meditate, but I often get interrupted by little people. And so if I don't get that time to do it in the morning, when it's my designated work time, we um, do share, you know, I work in the morning and Des works in the afternoon. I make sure I'll take out some time during my work space time um to do it and a lot of people say oh I don't have time for that and you're like "Mm, well yeah yeah you do yeah (laughs) yeah you do and you always feel better afterwards yeah 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 not I haven't heard a person go oh I felt really shit after that meditation (laughs) you know like you always feel better afterwards and and would you do like does it vary the amount of time it takes you or do you like try and do you set an alarm or like how long do you do? No, I don't. I don't. I never set an alarm. I just let it go. And occasionally it goes 10 minutes, 15 minutes. Occasionally it's 45 minutes. Uh, I kind of just let it, let it be what it needs to be. Um, and I'm really thankful uh, that the meditation now is um, what has helped me. I don't know. I guess. Since Kawa has passed, what I feel has believed is she has connected me to spirit more and that what it's done is not only has it opened my this channel, I feel like, that, that everyone can tap into, um, every soul on earth can tap into this channel. And when I was on Top Design, what I used to do was my mantra was uh, uh, I am an open channel of creative energy. And I used to say that to myself every day of the challenge. I am an open channel of creative energy. And so what's happened, I feel like in her passing and me tapping into grief and suffering is that this channel is like really wide open for me now. Um, And I'm really, really thankful for it. That is the gift I have received. um, Kind of like, it's kind of like a consolation prize, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, I guess you could say it's like that. And so this channel is really open. And so when I, Rather than me thinking, oh, what am I going to do creatively? It's more like I ask now, like, what do I need to be doing? Where am I going with this? And then I'm given direction and I feel like now I'm just pretty much like I've been given all these skills up until this point in my life, you know, I'm 39 years old. And so up until now, like I can just, I can draw, I can write. And so I have, you know, done all this training so that now I can receive, um, these messages and create things yeah yeah so 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 that's where i'm at so have you have you started working on something specific like yes yes Yes. so i'm working on a book right now and i've been working on it uh i've actively been working on it all year so since kawa passed i used to write down uh like little phrases like uh about love and what i felt love is and they would just kind of like come like little fragments you know when you receive ideas and they just you know you just gotta nab it and put it down somewhere and so I started collecting all these little fragments and then putting them in my moleskin diary and whatever or just whatever piece of paper I could find so I had all these scraps of paper and then when COVID hit it was like I remember in a meditation I received kind of like this kind of like 
kick in the ass. And it was like, okay, it's time now, less talking, more walking. And I realized it was like, oh, okay, I need to walk this, you know, purpose-driven, creative path, you know. And so from then, from COVID, I started drawing again and it's been a long time and I struggled through that process because I'm actually not a very good drawer. Like I live with an artist and so when you live with an artist, you're never going to think you're a very good drawer. (laughs) Um, Yeah, you and I draw in a really naive kind of sticky kind of way, (laughs) you know, simple lines. And so there's a particular style to it. Um, And so I knew I needed to have these drawings, which were simple uh, for this book that I've been working on that is going to be for everyone. It's going to be for big kids and little kids. And I wanted it to just be about what simply what love is and how love has nothing to do with material possessions. It's got nothing to do with status. It's got nothing to do with anything, you know, um, really like tangible. It's just simply feelings or moments, small snippets and moments in time. Um, and that's, yeah, so that's what the Beautiful. book is. <laughs> oh, wow. So yeah. is it aimed, though, at mm. children in general? I know you said little kids and big kids. but Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'll show you because this is just a scrappy drawing, but not that oh, wow. people can yep. see it. <laughs> so it's kind of like the drawings will appeal to yes. children because they're really simple and they're really colourful. And the way I approach colouring is, which is the stage I'm at now, is I just got aquarels because I don't really paint. <laughs> and so... I was like, oh, I just want to do this like a kid. I don't want to plan the colors. I just want to pick colors that I like and I want to color it in like right now. And I'm watching Rafa, my four and a half year old, draw, and that's how she draws. So I was like, okay, well, I'm going to approach coloring like that. Yeah. I'm just going to pick the colors I like and I'm going to color it and that's it. Yeah. You know, yeah. that's the edit. Yeah. Um, and so that's where I'm at. I'm probably like, um like 75 percent through like the coloring stage yeah so there have been times in the last since COVID hit last year where I've had really intense periods with it and then you know you kind of get taken away from these projects sometimes because it's not earning you money and then other things take precedent um and so now I'm back in it um and then last year we actually had a shoot with this really really sweet lady who came through and she was shooting a cookbook and she wandered into this the shack where I'm working after she did the shoot. And she was like, oh, what are you doing? You know, a bit nosy, but, you know, I like that. And she was a bit nosy and she was like, what are you doing? And I was like, oh, I'm working on this book. I was like, I don't really know what I'm doing and I don't really know what the next stage is, but um, somehow or rather I need to make it into a book. And she just looked at me and like, tapped into my eyes and she was like what is this book about and I was like oh it's just about love (laughs) you know and I was like and it's about having angel children you know um it's dedicated to all the all the parents in the world who have angel children you know and she just looked at me in the eyes and she was just like she's like I'm gonna help you with your book and I was like oh really (laughs) she was like yeah I'm gonna help you with your book you know and so I was like wow okay and she was like, do you have the software? And I was like, no, I don't even know what you're talking about. And so she was like, send me an email when it's time 
I'm not going to help you with your book. And then so last year, late last year, she sent me an email and followed up on it. And I was like, wow, this woman is like for reals, you know? And she's like, where are you at the book? And I was like, okay, I'm going to contact you early next year. I'm onto it. You know, it's time. And she was like, cool. Let me know. Yeah. And so it's almost that time. Yeah, that's exciting. Yeah. So are you going to self-publish yeah, or are you going to go through a publisher? Is that? Yeah, I, I guess so. I, you don't the know thing is I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I kind of just allowed this one to just yeah. be. Um, and I feel like what I did the other day, though, was I shot a little short film for it because I felt like if I do need funding and you know, want to do a crowdfunding thing, that it would be good to document um, the process. Yeah. 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 Oh, it's, I can't yeah. wait to see it. Yeah. And do you have any sense of what you want to do beyond this book or is that you're just so immersed in this right now? Uh, no. And I guess that's the thing about what I've learned about from Kawa and I'm learning even more so now and really tapping into the whole rum dust thing of like, you know, like be here now and like not thinking too much about like the future um, and just allowing things to come. Yeah. I think when I was young, I was always searching and I was always running away and yeah, in search as if, as if I would find myself only by going to far distant places or stuff like that. But now I realize that um, when you're grounded, things will come to you. Yeah. Yeah. Or that's where I'm at with my life. No, that's, that's kind Mm. of what, with the research my book still that's kind of what the, the conclusion <laughs> yeah. that I oh. came to which yeah. was that you know we like you know because obviously there's this whole industry around changing our homes and changing our lives and but mm. to actually the only moment that we ever have is this one now and you know totally. to just embrace this moment and which is not to say you can't plan mm-hmm. but to really be present in this mm. moment and um Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's, I feel, a beautiful way to end this part of the conversation. <laughs> I know, I could keep going. Um, but I've just got a few little quick questions for you and just yeah, sure. whatever comes first to mind, um, I just think it's a fun way to get a little bit more of an insight into mm-hmm. you and your thoughts. Mm-hmm. So the first one is the one that always trips, trips everyone up, but I think you've got this one, mm-hmm. Dee, because... <laughs> I think you're, you'll be good. Um, so which five words best describe you? Whichever five words come to mind first. Ooh, um, I like the way someone described us in a blog the other, or myself the other day, and it was absent-minded afterthoughts. <laughs> um, can, can I sure. use that? Is that one word? That's about phrase? four, but that's fine. <laughs> I'll go with that. Absent-minded afterthoughts. Um, uh, I guess... I like to say laid back, but my husband was probably the only person in the world who would disagree. <laughs> um, <laughs> present, <laughs> authentic. Uh, I try my hardest to be exactly who I am and try to express that in in every way. Yep. Which, um, what else is there? The, that's probably about five. <laughs> and uh, uh, woo, uh, maybe woo-woo okay. as well. I Yeah. Yeah, woo-woo, I like to think, and it's funny because my name is Tang, so I think of my, I was thinking, I was like, oh, if I had a podcast name, maybe I could call it Woo-Woo Tang. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds good. (laughs) Yeah. What's your proudest life or career achievement? Uh, Probably uh, 
actually no not probably it is the the lunch lady story that i wrote mm. um i after being a designer for so long and you know um so visual i realized the power of words when i wrote that story and i was thankful for my years of doing that journalism degree that seemed really pointless at the time you know and i was thankful for the fact that i always wrote and kept journals and uh, that when I came to write that, it all came just tumbling out of me quite, you know, um, kind of unconsciously. Yeah, it was kind of like just this stream of words um, came out and I was able to articulate my feelings into these words. And the result of that is I've had, I've had hundreds and hundreds of people email me, message me on Instagram, um, just talk to me about it in person. Hundreds of people tell me about their loved ones and conversations about dead people. And I actually really enjoy that, you know. I love hearing about I love hearing about people who passed and I love hearing about their experiences with spirit with that loved person who passed. And so, yeah, that's probably, I, I feel like it really was after all that and trying to be a designer, you know, and make things look cute for so long, I suddenly was like, oh, um, the words, the words, the words really resonated. Um, and so now I'm trying to combine those words with pictures. Yeah. I was wondering when the journalism thing would circle back for mm. you because it, yeah, well, because yeah. It, but, but often it does so <laughs> in some way and you never know when it mm. will come back, but there must've been a reason you did it totally. in the first place. Well, that's it, you know, and I remember when I was, hang you know, uh, started designing and I found that designers often uh, are so visual that they weren't able to express themselves in words. And so what I started doing just in the background was I would do, um, you know, I would do write-ups for my designer friends who had started out doing, uh, who had, yeah, who just started launching their labels or they needed a little blurb for their collection um, on the side, I would just kind of like, you know, try and tap into their brand and pull words together for them. Yeah. So it did come together. What's, yeah, yeah it did. <laughs> um, what's the best life um, or career lesson you've learned? Oh, um, just be yourself. Yeah. Uh, find your own style. Um, I think it's obviously a good experience to try and, I mean, when you don't have a sense of your own style, people are going to copy other people's styles. But once you've copied someone else's style, you have to keep moving on. Like you can't just stay in that space, you know, like keep searching and you, you know, you'll get there. Um, that's part of the journey and is always and will continue on. Uh, but, yeah, try, try to keep going with finding your own style you know um it's really important i feel because there's everyone has their own unique sense of expression i feel yeah what's been your best decision <laughs> like ever yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh, the best decision um <sighs> <laughs> Or one of them uh... <laughs> Uh, you know what? To have children, I think. Um, I never thought I'd have children. I wasn't one of those girls who grew up thinking, oh, I'm going to get married and have babies. Like I never thought I'd have children, let alone have three, yeah. you know. I used to think people who had more than one or two was just crazy, right, yeah. <laughs> you know. 
And I never, ever, ever thought I would end up having three babies. Like seriously, yeah. still smells yeah. me out. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know it's a mother of four. Yeah, I completely get it. And I wasn't a particularly, like I was never yeah. one of those people that, to me, I was always about a career. Like I always, I just always wanted to have, like a, create a life that I loved. Yeah, That was right. always my thing. And it didn't necessarily yeah. be, it wasn't yeah. about children, you know. So they've kind of yeah. an added bonus. And you have four, and I, don't yeah. you? Which is, <laughs> that's, which is wild. <laughs> it actually, no one believes you, but it actually gets easier the more you have because they just entertain each other. Oh, it's so funny. Yeah. yeah, it's so funny. It's like, it's weird. I found that once you had three children, like the, the, the step from two to three, suddenly people go, whoa, you've had three kids, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and then I guess for you, it's like when you say four, they're like, oh. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Jaw yeah. drop. <laughs> yeah. To me, in many ways, one was the hardest because it was like they you're mm. their everything. You have to, you know, mm-hmm. play with the trains and the cars and the whatever it is and yeah, the, totally. all that stuff. Whereas yeah. when they've got siblings, you know, they've kind of got this inbuilt, inbuilt entertainment system, <laughs> you know, with all their siblings, yeah, cool. which is lovely. Yeah. Um who inspires you? Um Currently, like I'm reading the Ram Das book, Be Here Now. And so I guess uh, people or souls like that, they uh, I find really inspiring. Um, just people who've spent their life kind of searching for, you know, some sense of meaning or their purpose. And they're always continually, and like you can see, I mean, obviously he's passed into spirit now, but you can see his whole life was just about trying to find what it is that he was meant to be doing, you know? And I really respect that when I can see someone, even if you're making shitty decisions or, you know, bad paintings, whatever, you know, what is bad. Um, it's just like you, you just people who really try to to search, you know, and they, they don't get weighed down by society and they don't, you know, get too wrapped up in being comfortable, you know, it's nice to have a comfortable home and have, you know, comfortable things, but just not being the main focus of it all. Yeah. I guess just anyone really who I meet in my daily life who's, yeah, continuing that search. Yeah. No, I, I'm definitely going to get this book by his, that's <laughs> for sure. What are you passionate about? Yeah. Sorry, passionate what am I? About. Passionate Um. I'm really passionate about, um, this is going to sound really weird, but people really tapping into their dark side and and suffering. This is going to sound really strange for some people, which I guess is like a really Buddhist thing when they when like people talk about suffering and and allowing yourself to suffer because it is in that dark tunnel I find that you do realize there is a light at the end of the tunnel. You know, it's like if you're going through some kind of hardship, if someone's died, if you've got some sense of disease, like I truly feel like you had chosen that um, path, you know, um, which is difficult for some people to swallow. And there is a reason for you to be in that state of being. And it is your kind of role, your job to kind of work through it, um, to trudge through it. You know, it's really and it's going to be hard and it's difficult but you know there's always light at the end of the tunnel yeah yeah, yeah. 
that like I, I like I remember being in the hospital with you know when Carl and we didn't know what had happened to her and we didn't realize that her brain had lost lost all function and we didn't know but I probably had some of the best laughs of my life in the waiting room with some of my closest friends who'd flown from all around the country to 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 hang out with us in this dingy you know waiting room with bad coffee out of styrofoam cups you know um it's just yeah just some of the best laughs yeah um I think they had they 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 got all our names mixed up in the media because we were like in the news every day when Carl passed was passing and they they called me D Trang so like (laughs) We'd write all our we'd write all our media names on our styrofoam cups <laughs> with the bad coffee. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> oh. Yeah. No, I think it's yeah, it's important, like what you were saying before as well, about people talking about death and in our culture in general, we don't. We don't talk about death or or mm. s- sadness or, you mm. know, we always have to put on a shiny, happy face and um mm. yeah. yeah totally. So yeah, it's interesting kind of to think of it that way. Yeah, and I tr- and I find that once you talk about it, like when I meet people now, people, you know, often when you have children, people will go, oh, how many kids have you got? And I'm like, well, I, I've have had three, um, but what my firstborn has passed. And as soon as you say this, it's just like <laughs> people are like blown away. They're just like, Bleh! and then what happens is what's really cool is that it just kind of like removes any layers or any, you know, kind of, you know, if they were pretending to be anything, it just kind of like pulverizes all of mm. it. And then people start talking to me and telling me about their husband, their sister, their wife, their previous girlfriend. And and then people start crying, you know, and I've had hundreds of conversations now with strangers and we're like, you know, they're crying, I'm crying and it's mm. fine, you know, and you hold that space for them, you know. Yeah. And I find that now after what I've gone through that I'm able to hold that space, you know, and it's, it's really therapeutic and cathartic and it's actually really sweet and I think it's cute, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah, I've had a lot of grown old dudes just kind of like going, oh, God, and like they can't even help themselves, like tears just start rolling down their faces. And I'm like, you know, that's fine, you know, and I get to a point now sometimes they're the one crying and I'm the one consoling them about <laughs> yeah. my suffering, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. 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 Amazing. What dream do you still want to fulfill? You know what? I I just want to see my babies. I want to see my babies grow up, you know? Yeah. I didn't get, I don't get to see Kawa grow up. I don't get to see her as a seven and a half year old. And I don't get to see a picture of the three of them together ever, you know? Um, and so my dream is just to see them grow and thrive, you know. But then on the other hand, I'm also reading the Ram Dass book <laughs> and it talks about, you know, <laughs> it talks about um, just like uh, desire. And so I realise now me wanting them to have to grow up and for me to, you know, pass before them is another desire. And so that's, I guess, something I'm still working mm. on and I'm not quite there yet or w- wanting to let that go. Yeah. Mm. Well, my next um, question is what are you reading? But mm. you've said that, but maybe is are there any other books that you're reading yeah. at the moment? I've got like a stack of books next to my bed and like I've got a one-year-old. So I feel <laughs> like when like he's not as into me, I'll be able to read yeah. them. Yeah. <laughs> but currently he just, yeah, he's just like I am his everything. And so maybe when he's a little bit more, 
I don't know, give it another year or two and I'll be able to finish these books. Yeah, yeah. no. <laughs> Are you listening to any podcasts at the moment? Um, you know what? I'm actually really new to podcasts. Um, my husband's been listening to them for years and it used to like drive me nuts because he'd be like, I was listening to this podcast and I'd be like, uh-huh, <laughs> you know, and I guess because in the seven years I've been like, you know, uh, child rearing and had a business, I just didn't have space for it and I didn't know how to let the podcast in. Um, and so I only recently um, started listening and I don't have one. Oh, actually, I have one in particular, but it's actually a guy that I just really enjoy listening to. His name is Damien Eccles. I don't know if you've heard mm. of him. And he talks about white, uh, he talks about magic, magic with a K. And he was wrongly imprisoned in Arkansas, I think it was, like when he was a kid. And he was in prison for 20 wow. years. And it was in prison that he started practicing what he calls high magic. And he said by the time he left, he didn't even feel like he was in prison anymore because he was practicing this like eight hours a day and he was able to kind of remove himself from his bodily experience and be, you know, just be where he wanted to be or be in a different time and space. And he's just a really cool dude and I really enjoy listening to him because he he admits, you know, that he was like, I needed to go through to jail. I needed to be put on death row. Like I had to go through all this really effed up stuff for me to become who I am. Wow. That's yeah. amazing. Well, I was going to say, I mean, I, I listen to a lot of podcasts while I'm folding laundry because I've got lots yeah. of laundry with four children. Oh. So that's or yes. hanging up, even yes. hanging up the laundry. <laughs> so hanging up the washing or folding oh. the And so, yeah, right. but yeah, I don't know if listening to people on death row goes with laundry, but <laughs> maybe it does because that's where I can. Have- well, the thing is he doesn't really talk about that so much. What he talks about really is more what he calls high magic. His mindset. Really essentially meditation. Yeah. Meditation. Yeah and tapping into your spirit yeah. guides and your archangels and, you know, all that kind of woo-woo yeah. stuff. Like he, yeah, and he's all about teaching people how to tap into that. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Well, we, we will put links mm. to all of these in the, the show notes at the end. Um, <laughs> and finally, what piece of advice would you give to your younger self? Ooh. <laughs> um... I mean, to practice what I'm trying to practice now, I probably wouldn't say anything and I would just allow her to be who she needed to be and make those mistakes that she needed to make to be who I am now. Mm. Yeah, it's a part of the journey, (laughs) isn't it? Mm. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Well, thank you so much, Dee. I've really enjoyed this conversation. It's been so nice to kind of get to know you a little bit better and hear all this backstory that I didn't even know, like with the the styling and the VM. And um, yeah, there's a lot of it I can relate to as well, sort of as someone who did journalism and then went into styling and yeah, sort of had like, you know, different, but there's some parallels there. So it's it's always interesting to see how it all comes together in the end and um, I'm really excited to see this book as well so yeah definitely be looking out Mm. for that so thank you so much for your time no thank you so much Um, you're kind of you're someone that I've admired from afar and it's again like you know there's a lot of stylists out there um, 
but yours is one that I've really honed into and tapped into because you're all about, um, you know, self, you, you're all about, you know, helping people find their own sense of expression. And I love yeah. that. Oh, thank you. Mm. Thanks. All right. Thank you. <laughs> well, thank you. All of the links and info you need to access for this episode are at nataliewalton.com forward slash podcast. Thank you to Jaeger Media for producing this podcast and the people of the Bunchlong Nation where it was recorded. I look forward to connecting again soon. I'm Natalie Walton and you've been listening to Imprint.